Camo X at your service on this Thursday. My name is George Sells, sitting in for the St. Louis Cardinals, who had a very nice afternoon this afternoon. This is great. Last few times I've been in here to fill this shift, and I'm the guy who shows up when the Cardinals have a day off or they played a day game, and it seems like every time I was in here they were coming off a loss. Every time. They, and, it, and it was usually something ridiculous that, you know, we all know how some of these games have gone. So it is very nice to say, come here and say to you, I was at the ballpark last night thoroughly enjoying Adam Wainwright pitching another gem. And they won again today. It's looking, you know, at least there's something we can look positive. We were just talking to Kevin Wheeler on his way out the door. And uh, yeah, these guys got to win two out of three pretty much every series down the stretch. You know, you can all do all the, you know, playing around with the math you want, but when you're in a race with essentially three other teams for one spot, maybe four, you've got to win more than just an above average clip. You've got to really go on a run and do and do well, and hopefully they will. My wife says I'm optimistic to a fault, and. Uh, that shows up on nights like this when I'm still thinking, yeah, they might be able to squeeze in there, and boy, anything can happen in one game. And well, wouldn't it stink to be a Dodgers fan? Have a great season, end up a game out of first, you go to the wild card, and Wainwright goes out there and spins you with 74 mile an hour curveballs, and your season's over. I'd enjoy it. Any takers? Okay, so what are we doing tonight? Plenty to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, some this first hour about September 11th, uh, both memories of that event 20 years ago. That is hard to believe. Absolutely. Inc- it's just incredibly difficult to believe for me. Uh, and I think for many of you out there listening, it's uh, you, you bat your eyes and it's been two decades. And uh, throughout the show, we're going to have some things sprinkled in. I'll share a few memories with you. We're going to talk to Rick Randall from that Flags of Valor display over at Forest Park. I don't know if you've been out there yet. It's there through the weekend, and it is something to see. More than 7,000 American flags representing service members who have died in the line of duty fighting, as it was dubbed, the War on Terror. I mean, it, it is the the aftermath, if you will, of 9-11 and uh, a lot of lives lost. Uh, and the thing that is really nice when you go over there, you'll you'll run across family members of some of the people whose dog tags are hanging from those flags out there. And they first thing they want to say to you is thanks for coming out. Thanks for remembering. There's a great appreciation there, and really that appreciation should go both ways because you know they gave up their child, and so many people have. You know, twice as many service members died fighting the war on terror as people died in 9/11. So there's a far greater cost than just the, I say just. There's a far greater cost than the 3,000 lives that were lost that day. You know, it it was 10,000 lives lost if you start getting into uh, the wars since. And you can you can add on to that families where people had something go wrong, uh, families that were torn apart. Uh, there were 
the the, the spinoff of this just continues and continues. And, and that's something we should be thinking about as we come to Saturday and we observe, if you will, what happened on 9-11. Uh, be thinking about those families. You know, we should be thinking about all the people whose lives were touched. Uh, I worked in New York a few years after 9-11 happened, and the stories you heard from guys that I worked with uh, at a television station there uh, out on Long Island uh, had a photographer telling me that he did nothing but cover funerals for two months after that happened. I mean, you want to talk about a gut-wrenching experience just every single day. And, you know, I can remember you know, my 9-11 story. I'll share it with you very quickly. I was working at a television station in Louisville, Kentucky, and standing in the newsroom starting the day, and the one tower's on fire, the second plane hits. And we obviously immediately, everybody kind of springs into action because, and it, everybody's just like, we have to do something because it's, we're under attack. And what do you do? And we run across the street to the federal building and watch them put that on complete lockdown in no time flat and then get back to our building for the boss to say, go to the, go home and grab a bag, head for the airport. You're going to New York. Well, of course, in the go home and get a bag part of this, uh, everything was grounded. So there were no flights. So uh, run across the street to where my wife was working, tell her I'm going to New York, which that was an interesting thing in that context to say to your spouse. Uh, I'll never forget how she looked at me and like just tears kind of started running on her face. Um, and we got in a car and we drove. And we rolled into Manhattan about, or not into Manhattan, but to the outskirts about 1130 at night on 9-11. And you came up the New Jersey Turnpike and you could see the glow of the fire that was still burning. And spent close to a week there. And the things that you remember, a couple of things that will always stick out to me. First of all, because we were a television crew and we had a camera and people see a camera and they, they don't know where you're from. Obviously, we're, we're from Kentucky. We are of no use to people looking for local news reporters in New York. But they would see the camera and they would come up with, to you and they would have a flyer. And it looked like when you're walking down the street in your neighborhood and the, there's a picture of a dog that's missing, except these were people. Last scene, South Tower, 56th floor. North Tower, 83rd floor. Uh, they were husbands, they were wives, sons, daughters, and their family members were out with these stacks of flyers, just handing them out to people. Uh, walls just covered and you're just you're looking at all these faces and you're for these brokenhearted people, you're hoping against hope that maybe there'll be a miracle and one of them will be found. But as a pragmatist, you know, deep down, they're probably gone. And you're talking to these people and you don't I mean, the last thing you want to do is say anything that would remove that bit of hope that they had. But at the same time, you're just thinking to yourself, you know, it's hopeless. I mean, they, talk, they, they talked about the search dogs 
on the pile at ground zero getting depressed. And the reason that the dogs were getting depressed is those dogs thrive on succeeding. You know, tell them they've got to find something and they find it and they wag their tail and they get a treat and they, that, that's how they're trained. And they weren't finding anything. And that was depressing even to them, uh, which was just a horrible thing. Uh, another thing I'll remember from the first night there, you couldn't get a, get a hotel. And so we ended up sleeping in a car, the car we drove in on that first night. And it was a beautiful night. The weather, I don't know if you remember the weather that day up there. It was just stunningly gorgeous. It's like 75 degrees, a perfect autumn day in New York City. For anybody who's ever been there, you know what those days are like. And we're trying to get some sleep because we're going to have, no, we're going to have many long days ahead of us. And so we have the windows rolled down in the car and you would nod off. And just when you were about to fall asleep, there would be a roar. And it was the F-18s flying overhead on patrol over Manhattan that night. It was the only noise you heard. But the you've been out you've been out at Lambert when those fighter jets have taken off. Uh, you, you know you know the sound, and uh, I will always remember being awakened by that. Uh, every twenty minutes, thirty minutes, that night. Um, crazy things. Sound is a powerful thing. Times Square stood there for twenty minutes, never heard a horn honk. Think about that for a second if you've been up there. A lot of memories like that. So coming up next, we're going to talk to Rick Randall from Flags of Valor. It is 8.15. I'm George Sells. Looking forward to spending the evening with you here on KMOX. Dependable. Traffic and weather together on the 10s. Weekday mornings on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Twenty-two Thursday night, George Sells with you until 11 o'clock tonight. Camelox at your service. Cardinals would usually be on right now. No Cardinals tonight. They had the day game, another win. That was good stuff. And uh, if you were with us for the first segment, uh, that anniversary of 9-11 coming up. And uh, it's haunting, but what is also haunting is all that has happened since uh, we have had what was dubbed a war on terror that is still underway in some ways, uh, even though we've now, after 20 years, pulled out of Afghanistan. But there has been an enormous human cost. And this week and into the, and through the weekend, if you can get a representation of that cost uh, by going out to Art Hill at Forest Park and seeing the Flags of Valor display. More than 7,000 American flags, every one representing a service member who lost his or her life somewhere in this war on terror. Rick Randall joining us now, who got this whole thing going several years ago. Rick, thanks for joining us on KMOX. Good evening, George. Thanks for having me. Rick, for, for those who, who don't know, if you could tell us the story of how we got to this point where this beautiful yet chilling display is is up for the third time every five years. Tell me how you got started with it and uh, and how it got to where it is today. Well, it, it, it was really about 11 years ago that my wife and I saw, not in person, but we saw on the Internet a, a beautiful display along US-1 in front of Pepperdine University, uh, 3,000 flags, actually 2,977 full-size American flags on that beautiful hill, if anybody's been in front of Pepperdine. 
uh, running along US-1, and, and we thought to ourselves we had both been very, very much affected by 9-11, and, and I had um, begun to do some work with some military causes, which I had not done previous to 9-11. Um, but we thought, well, I w- we, could we do that? And we, we immediately thought of Art Hill. And so we worked with um, uh, the park and the city and, and uh, gathered about a couple of hundred uh, volunteers and we were able to get got some good sponsorships. My company, Pace Properties, kind of led the charge as the administrator of it. And then we got Guarantee Electric to give the space to make the flags and store everything. So between Guarantee and Pace, and we just got going. We put up 2,977 flags on Art Hill 10 years ago. And um, everybody really, really was moved by it. Um, we we took donations for those flags and people carried them actually away off the hill. Um, and I know a lot of people in town still fly those flags from 10 years ago. Uh, fast forward five years later, we we thought we 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 were losing so many beautiful young people over in these wars on terror in Afghanistan, Iraq, and other other theaters that we decided we needed to honor them. And and we did. And at that point, it was just under seven thousand five years ago. Um, young men and women that we had lost in those wars in a criteria the BOD has, it's called killed in theater. Um, could be an accident or, or killed in action, but if they were killed overseas in theater, those are the ones that we, we flew the flags for, for um, five years ago. And as this one approached a few years ago, we got the whole team together, which has now grown to, to about a thousand and at least a hundred key people, companies um, and individuals you know, let's try and pull both those elements together this year on the 20-year anniversary. So we have uh, six beautiful picture boards done by uh, Ziegland Stein and Bender Graphics down as you come off the bridges from the Grand Basin to Art Hill um, with all the victims, 2,565. Uh, we have flags around the top of the Grand Basin in that arc, in that beautiful area between the sidewalk and the Grand Basin for the 412 first responders uh, that lost their life that day. We have pictures and, um, and information about each one of them. And, um, and then on the Hill, uh, we really repeated what we did five years ago. And we have dog tags and pictures for all the military um, personnel killed in theater uh, since 9-11. Um, the number had been at 7,041 for, um, for I think it seemed like at least a year and a half. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we had to add 13. So that was really a blow to all of us uh, who were working on it because we, um, we thought we were at that number and weren't going weren't gonna, to, that wasn't going to change and that, but it did. And so, um, so we have 7,054 flags for, um, for the Kilden Theater. Then, we also have a special flag program that's really, really a nice one that um, a beautiful woman named Liz Fidel runs. We have over 100 flags that don't fall into that criteria, but are local active duty that uh, lost their lives um, since 9-11 and just not in theater. It could have been a base accident or a training accident and and, and other ways. Um, and so we have those flags out there, too, Um and then we fly some special flags for the post-traumatic stress disorder deaths, and we fly a special one for all the firefighters and police and, and other first responders that have lost their lives since 9-11, which is a, 
a tragedy unto itself. The 412 are, um, you know, were the ones that died that day, but so many have suffered the illnesses because uh, they wouldn't leave that pile, as you know better than anybody, George. They wouldn't leave. Yeah. They just wouldn't go. So they um, they suffered greatly for that. Tell me something. Obviously, this has become such an incredible undertaking, the, the complexities of all of it and getting all the people in the right places and the flags and the funding and, and the, getting the work done. When you just stand there at the bottom of that hill and look up at those flags and all that other stuff kind of washes away, what goes through your mind? Well, um, I get I get sad, but at the same time, I I, um, I feel a sense of, of ease because I know that the majesty of that hill and that presentation that we're able to put together in its precise fashion that we are, thanks to so many professionals, um, I know it gives because I talked to all the Gold Star families and we have them coming from all over the country. Um, it gives them comfort that that we have that kind of respect. When we put those dog tags and pictures on those flags, every volunteer put on white gloves. And we treat those flags, um, we treat those flags the way they deserve to be treated. And, and I, when I look at that hill, I know what the Gold Star families see. They see that people care, that people won't forget. And they, we do it in the most respectful way we possibly can. Last question for you. Uh, I was out there last weekend, a lot of families out there, a lot of young people, a lot of kids. We've got a whole generation of kids that was not alive when this happened. Uh, How important is it to you that this play a role in, in educating them about what happened on that day 20 years ago? Well, that's organically happening this week. I see it every day I'm out there. I see more than I had had dreamed of seeing. The school classes coming out there, parents with their kids. Um, just a real quick story, a couple of beautiful young girls, maybe 8 and 10, looking at the picture boards with 427 people on each board. And the littler one turned to her dad who was behind him and, and said, what happened to them? And the dad said, um, you remember when Papa had to go to heaven and he, he, he gave the explanation that they, they went to, to heaven and the older one kept looking at the board and turned around and said to the dad, um, but they're not old. And the dad had to take a minute and that was a much more complicated answer, but he had a beautiful answer to, for her. Um, but yes, that education of the sacrifice and the, the education of nine 11 itself, what happened that day? I mean, uh, George, we have a whole generation now that's uh, in college now that that wasn't here when that uh, event occurred, and so I think um, I think this is is helping that, and I think it also just helps younger people get a little bit of a grip. I see them walking around looking at the dog tags carefully, and and I know that their 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 minds are going, wow, that you know people do this for me, and so. It really warms my heart that that educational process is taking place on Art Hill this week. Well, Rick Randall, we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us tonight. The display is called Flags of Valor. It is at Forest Park on Art Hill through the weekend. And if there is one thing you do between now and then, 
Uh, I can't suggest it highly enough. It is a remarkably beautiful display before you even get into what it's all about. And when you talk about what it's all about, and when you think about it and reflect on it, uh, it's an important moment. Rick, thank you so much for being with us on Candlewax. George, could I, could I jump in with a website real quick? Yeah, sure. Flagsofvalorstl.com, and you can sponsor a flag. We will be sending all 7,000 flags to their Gold Star families, but it's very expensive. So by sponsoring a flag, you'll help us get that done. It's easy to do at flagsofvalorstl.com. All right. And I appreciate you having me on, George. Thank you, Rick. It's 832 on CamoX. Thursday night, George Sells with you, Camel X at your service. Uh, a lot of talk about vaccines, the need for them, uh, the the controversy in some eyes over them. And uh, if you caught any news this afternoon, uh, President Biden, I won't even call this a shot across the bow. It's a shot into the bow of uh, folks who have been resisting getting the vaccine, a sweeping set of orders that will impact somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 million Americans, I believe, was one of the counts I saw. And basically, if you work for the federal government, you have to get the vaccine, period. They're not going to do any more of this. Well, you can get tested and that's a way around it. It's get the vaccine or go elsewhere. Uh, Any company with more than 100 workers, uh, they're going to require vaccination or weekly testing that one may be a little tougher uh you you get that you get into small businesses uh tight margins the ability to do something like that and either take the loss that comes with people leaving because some may uh or there's also we know that the vaccine is free but if somebody wanted to go for the testing option who's paying for that now, I, most places are making it at the expense of the worker. For my money, that's the way you go. I mean, folks, it, it, this is getting old at this point. And you know, the president was clearly frustrated with the roughly 80 million people that are eligible to get the shots and haven't done it. Um, and I, I think this is past being about politics. And even though politics is at the root of so much of this, at the root of why so many people, for whatever reason, uh, have convinced themselves that th- this is a bad idea. And why? I mean, I hear people say, oh, I, you don't know what's in that stuff and you're going to put it in your body. I mean, read the ingredient label on a loaf of bread and tell me if you know what all that stuff is that you're putting in your body when you eat a ham sandwich. That's before you even get into the ham. Go to the grocery store and take a look at the chicken breasts that look like every chicken is like the Dolly Parton of chickens. You know, what kind of growth hormone is going into the the chicken breast that you're putting in your body? So it's kind of ridiculous. Yet people are fighting it tooth and nail and people are getting sick. And more and more people are getting sick. And we're seeing the numbers go up again, and now more kids are getting it thanks to this Delta variant. You know where these variants come from, right? These variants come from 
the virus continuing to just be allowed to spin around out there and run through people. A variant comes from a virus moving through enough people, figuring out ways to, you know, be more efficient. And it gets into more people. You know, the original COVID-19 didn't seem to affect kids. Well, the new COVID-19, boy, it figured out how to get to kids. And the only reason it's getting the opportunity to do that is because so many people out there are being stupid and not getting a vaccine that is free, that is safe, and that is going to, you know, keep our kids safe, keep our families safe, our coworkers, our loved ones, you name it. You know, nobody argues when, well, some, I put Put the longtime anti-vax crew aside. Most people have never uttered a complaint other than what drawer did I leave that piece of paper in when they had to go every year to school with their kids and hand over that vaccination form showing that measles, mumps, rubella, uh, what all are they? Chicken pox is on that list. Polio was for a long time. Uh, Smallpox, litany of diseases that we all get vaccinated for and you don't a kid doesn't get to go to school without those vaccines and they're all government approved and they you know they change them up a little bit every year and they're they're there and we take them and nobody's ever batted an eyelash and now all of a sudden what could be the most important vaccine you ever allow into your body as far as really saving you and saving others and you won't do it makes no sense so on this one, you know, I, I don't agree with everything the president does, but on this one, more power to him, baby. Because what he's going to do is we're, we're, we're going to see more of this. And, it, and slowly but surely, people are going to have to start making a decision, either get the vaccine because it's for the good of this country and it's for the good of those around us, or you're going to have very limited options when it comes to how to make a living and feed your family. That, 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 that in itself may be tough medicine for some, no pun intended, but that's where we're headed with this. And, you know, quite frankly, as a guy who doesn't like having to wear a mask around at work every day, but does, even though I've been vaccinated for months because it is the right thing to do, you know, don't risk people. Uh, I don't want to wear the mask. Most people don't want to wear a mask. My little girl doesn't want to wear a mask to go to seventh grade every day. My son doesn't want to wear a mask in high school. But they do. Well, guess how we get to stop doing that? Get vaccinated. Get rid of this. Pure and simple. So... President made quite a stand today, and it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Politically, it's going to probably hurt him pretty badly. Uh, you know, I'm sure that the the, the Democratic Party isn't thrilled uh, with you know, congressional midterms coming up here. You know, little you know, 13 months now, 14 months. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. It's 845. George Sells with you. Camo X at your service on a Thursday night. Of course, with 
the economic situation spinning out of the COVID situation, one thing that we have been seeing is a terrible difficulty for businesses to hire and keep employees. And the restaurant industry, the service industry has been among the hardest hit. And joining me now, a guy so many of us know, my favorite Twitter follow, my favorite enabler of a bacon addiction, and the meanest milkshake either side of the Mississippi, Andy Carenza from Crown Candy. Andy, thanks for joining us. George, how are you? Doing great, doing great. How are you? Because I know that uh, you've had to cut a day, you've had to cut hours. This has been a real trauma. Well, we haven't cut a day yet. That is something that, you know, that is like coming down the road. It's a situation that we we're hoping to avoid. Uh, when it gets to candy season right now, we're still okay. But, you know, it's something that we have to consider. But, you know what, in the grand scheme of things, we're doing okay. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing out there on the employment front, because you hear this everywhere you go. Uh, my my new day job, I'm working for the St. Louis Public Schools. I can't get enough bus drivers. Can't get enough uh, custodians. Uh, and then you hear restaurant industry. I've seen it all over and have been seeing it now for months. What what has it been like out there for you, and what do you try to do to get people in there to work? You know, we've been, you know, let's just call it six months. We've been, you know, constantly saying we're hiring, along with every other restaurant in this city of St. Louis and in, in St. Louis County and St. Charles County. You know, we, we, we get lots of people that might apply uh, online on Facebook or they might come in and get an application or they and our email. But, you know, we set up interviews and they don't show up or, you know, we might have a few interviews and, and it's like, OK, we want you to come in and we want to, you know, show you how things work around here. And then we never see them again. Um, and that's that's just not me. That's that's lots of us. I mean, I, you should hear when we all get together and start commiserating about the, the state of the world right now. It's got to be immensely frustrating. Do you see any kind of light at the end of tunnel, or what do you think it's going to take to create that light? You know, I don't know. This is this is such a different situation for all of us. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, restaurants that have you know that are rock solid like us that are you know eliminating, you know, lunch you know hours or eliminating you know a whole nother day. Uh, it's just you know we're trying we're making do because we want to give people good service. And so if you don't have the people to, you know, do that, you don't want them to have a bad experience and think oh, I'm never going back there again. So so we're trying to, you know, we're shortening hours, we're shortening weekdays, um, and we're just trying to provide the best product. And like I said, we're all just scratching our heads because none of us know, you know, when things are going to uh, go in a different direction. A lot of the talk, there was the talk about the federal benefits being a problem and I was seeing something the other day of somebody from the, the federal budget office saying that there really been no evidence of that. But here nor there, they were those were kind of pulled back in Missouri a while back and nothing seems to have changed. I saw another theory on there today uh, or I guess it was yesterday, uh, somebody theorizing that this is a, a correction in the market as far as wages, that this is kind of, we had the talk about the $15 minimum wage going on, and this is sort of the the market asserting itself when the regulators don't. Uh, do you think there's anything to that? Um, you know, first, let, let's address the unemployment benefits. I don't think that's really a factor. 
I mean, that was an easy thing for a lot of us to kind of think and possibly say that's like, oh, it's because of this. But I don't think that, in hindsight, that was not a driving factor for people, you know, choosing, you know, whatever path they're on now. Um, it's the correction in the market, let's call it. Um, you know, in the restaurant industry, there are a lot of jobs that people can work at, make good money, and, and make a living. There are a lot of jobs, let's call them entry-level jobs. Like for us, for, you know, for our entire career, we would hire people for their first possible job. And they were, you know, they were young kids. It's their first job. They're making a little money. They're learning how to, you know, come to work, do the job, you know, be a good employee. And then, you know, we, you know I've seen so many, you know, of these kids go to college and, and get better jobs and do well for themselves. And, and you know, that's, that's part of, kind of part of the industry is, you know, you know, it's not, some of these jobs aren't meant to be the job that you're going to make a career out of, but, but it's becoming that because unfortunately we don't have those good jobs anymore. The, the, the warehouse jobs, the, the manufacturing jobs, they've all left this country. Those are the jobs that people, you know, moved on to and, and made a living, you know, and, and worked at a company for 20 or 30 years. And, and those jobs are gone. And that's part of the problem. It is. And it's something I think uh, we're, that's coming home to roost, like so many of uh, so many of the things that have been going on throughout this pandemic. It's you said it before. I believe you used the word unprecedented. If you didn't, I will. Um, and and that's what so much of this is. We we have no playbook for any of this. And I think that that's where so many people get frustrated uh, with with the employment situation because there are so many. The restaurant industry, the service industry, is relying on this. Um, our kids in schools all over the area, uh, just getting them to school has proven to be a difficulty. Uh, you're at a time when we need to be at our cleanest. You can't get the people who would do some of that cleaning uh, at many in many school buildings uh, and many other buildings for that matter. So I, I think it's one of those things that... Uh, it's tough. It's just tough to watch, and it's it's tough to see folks like you and so many people uh, who have you know produced great memories for all of us here in St. Louis in, in your restaurants, uh, suffer, you know, fighting the fighting to just be able to make ends meet all of a sudden. Yeah, you know, and like I said, it, it's unprecedented. It's uncharted waters, um, and we're all trying to figure it out, and, and we are, and it's, it's just a struggle. I mean. And like I said, it's not just us. I mean, have you been to a hotel? They don't clean your clean your room every day. That's something. That you, if you request it, maybe you will get that room clean. Maybe you won't. Right. Uh, look at truck drivers. I mean, I talk to guys that deliver to me, and and I ask them, I was like, "What are you doing driving a truck?" And they roll their eyes because they said, "Yeah, it's crazy how short-handed truck drivers are. And how much do we, do we depend on them to get our food to us? Our, you know, my candy to me. Um, you know." It, it's just crazy. The city of St. Louis, those were city jobs were like the golden ticket. If you got a job with the city, you know, it was great. And they're, they can't hire people. It's, <laughs> it's, it's definitely <laughs> rough times. It's definitely rough times. We're running up against a break. Andy Carenza from Crown Candy. Thank you so much for joining us here on KMOX. It's eight fifty six.